Welcome to the FML Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie, and I'm here to motivate, educate, and inspire you on all things fitness, mindset, and lifestyle. That is right, we are bringing a new meaning to those letters. I'm the owner and head coach of CamFit Training, where we help women live confident and empowered lives. Today, I'll be sharing some honest insight about what I've learned and I'm still learning in my own journey, as well as our CamFit fans, so that you can live empowered too. Hello, my FML fam. Welcome back to the show. Today, I sat down and talked to a fellow friend and life and fitness coach, Sean McDevitt. He and his wife own a coaching company called DLD Nation, and they are some of the absolute best in the business. So I'm just going to share with you right now that their Instagram handles and podcasts are in the show notes if you want to track them down and connect with them and consume all of their awesome content. Um, Today we got into all kinds of cool stuff from mindset shifting and choosing your perspective to get the most out of life. Um, We got into a lot of conversation around that and Sean offered some tools that he uses with his clients. And then we talked about the value of life coaching and even our thoughts on law of attraction and manifestation. And we went a little bit woo woo here and there, which is always fun. And then Towards the end, we actually got into (laughs) Grey's Anatomy and Will Smith and Kobe Bryant and just some fun stuff. So definitely stick around till the end and let's get into it. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored and humbled to be on your show. I love it. I love it. So we're just going to get right to it. I would love our audience to know more about who they're really listening to before we get into, you know, all the deeper gritty topics that I know we're going to get to. So can you share a little bit with us about your story? Of course. Got to set the stage right before diving into the good stuff. Um, I'm going to meander through this. And typically when I'm on podcasts, I just kind of quick hits of things in my life and then feel free to just dive into Each one, we can go further down that rabbit hole. But so I'm Sean McDevitt. Carrie knows this. Maybe you listeners uh, don't. I'm originally from Los Angeles, born and raised. And then when I was a junior in high school, I moved to Austin, Texas. I initially did that for swimming. Uh, I tried to find a team as a competitive swimmer that would help me realize better colleges. And there was a team that would pair swimmers with host families here in Austin, Texas. And they were just churning out D1 scholarships like crazy. And so I actually moved to Austin alone and I lived with a host family for six months. And then my parents finally moved. It did really well. I got recruited by so many better schools than I did previously. And I ended up going to the University of Georgia where I swam. And then I graduated right around the 08 economic collapse. And my job prospects were very slim to none. And through a friend of my father's, I was able to interview with University of Oregon and go to their MBA program, specifically in their Warsaw sports marketing program, which flash forward helps me with what we do today. And then kind of did a stint in Los Angeles as an adult, realized it was a lot harder to live there as an adult versus a child when you're paying for everything. Moved back to Austin about 10 years ago. Part of that story was I was married and divorced. And so I got married in Los Angeles. And then about three and a half years later, four years later, I got divorced in Texas. And at that time, I was working in tech sales for an affiliate marketing company and healed myself after the divorce, a lot of therapy, a lot of hanging out with friends and family, felt like I was in a good place to date again, randomly run into this great, amazing woman, Dela, at the gym, 
uh, I didn't, I waited until she was done with the workout. I did not bother her during the workout. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> That's a very important point. Um, and then Dale and I ended up getting married. She was a nurse at the time, a labor and delivery nurse. And then through her own fitness journey and mine to a certain degree, we started coaching people on the side. And all of a sudden that started gaining traction and we were able to quit our jobs and become full-time fitness and nutrition coaches online. And that has snowballed in such a way that we now have 30 assistant coaches who work for us. And Dayla now also moonlights as a business coach for other online coaches. And I have moved into a life coaching capacity, which I truly love. You and I were just talking about that before hitting record. I also have some podcasts. Carrie was on. We have an amazing episode. She's going to come back for part two. So definitely check that one out. And we're still in Austin, Texas. That's, that's my really long story. Yeah, no, very concise, very nicely summarized. (laughs) So I'm curious about the transition from fitness to life coaching, because you and I have that in common where I think it's, it's, it is kind of common for people to make that transition because it's, you know, it's all so intertwined. So tell me a little bit about what that has looked like for you. For sure. And before going into it, Carrie, I would agree with you. There seems to be pivots for online fitness and nutrition coaches that either kind of stay in the fitness lane because they love it and that's their zone of excellence, or they pivot into life coaching or they pivot into business coaching. And then I've seen some people pivot into like spiritual wellness coaching, which is a ton of fun. But for me, I was strictly doing fitness and nutrition coaching and then maybe two to three years in, I had clients who, and we strive for probably similar to yourself to create autonomous clients. We would love to have clients forever and ever, the same client forever and ever. But our goal is for that person to know how to track macros, know how to train, and they get to leave the nest and they don't need us anymore. And so I had a handful of clients at that stage in my career who said, Hey, you know, I've lost 20, 30 pounds, feel great. I feel like I'm getting more out of you from this life capacity outside of fitness. And they asked, do you do anything like life coaching? And I was like, well, it sounds fun. It's something I'd be interested in. So I just created kind of offers out of thin air. And I was like, hey, you want to meet weekly? We'll do it like this. And then that's snowballed into what I do now. And so looking at my tally, I have close to 500 hours of life coaching um, experience. And then I also am certified in health mindset coaching. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know you were certified in that. Because I'm taking after you, Carrie. You motivated me and inspired me. Because every time I talk to this woman, she's like, I'm continuing my education in a major way. Like, since the podcast you and I did together, you probably have like two degrees. And that was maybe like... (laughs) Not even close. But it's just so fun to learn about it. Right? Like, it's just this vortex of, of mindset expanding stuff that you can learn. It never ends. And it's all so, so valuable, you know, and everyone, every human is so different that you just can't like, you just can't get enough. Can I share like a cool quote from history on that point? Yeah. So Michelangelo, the painter, not the turtle, when he was dying, apparently on his deathbed, they asked him like, how you feeling, Mike? And his response was, and coro imparo in, in Latin means, and I'm still learning and yet I'm still learning. And I thought that was so profound because here you have someone, they're at the end of their life and what's going on with you, bro. And he's like, I feel great. Like I'm learning. This is a new life experience for me. Like I've never encountered this before. And I think if we look at life that way as always learning kind of childlike, having that wonder, then we not only can continue to improve ourselves, 
but the world becomes more fun. Like the world becomes more magical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's just an open book when you look at it like that. And that reminds me of, um, I had a three-day training like two weeks ago, I believe through, you know, this is the degree I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, one of the founders quotes that they shared with us reminded me of what you just said, which I think it was, I'm trying to quote it perfectly. Like we only know two things for sure that we exist and that we experience. And no one said, you know, you're entitled to a phenomenal experience or a catastrophic one. It's just experience every single day. So you can take with that and, and, and make it whatever you want. Cause that's really the only thing that we're given. I would add in, in addition to that, the perception, like I'm currently listening to a book called master your emotions that I've seen on Instagram a bunch and they provide myriad examples. So they were saying like a rainy day to let's say you and Alex want to go on a picnic and all of a sudden it's pouring outside. You'd be like, you'd be bummed. You'd be like, Oh man, we can't go on this picnic. We've been planning versus the farmer that's in your state who's been experiencing a drought is so grateful for the deluge. And so I would add, and and because I love that quote, the experience, I would add sort of the perspective around the experience. And I know I'm preaching to the choir as far as mindset coaching, life coaching goes, but trying to shift into that perspective that better serves us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, I mean, that's all our life really is, is the lens that we're looking through every day. And that's choice. We have so much choice. And, you know, when we talked about that on your podcast, I'm very passionate about that. Um, So when it comes to choosing perspective, tell me a little bit about how you help your clients do that. That's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is that we're all a little bit too hard on ourselves. Like seemingly the prevailing perspective of the humans I've interacted with is to be negative and be hard on ourselves. And so what I like teaching is the negativity bias, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is simply a human's default mode of going negative. And thousands of years ago, that served us because we had to watch out for the threats. We had to watch out for the lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, in our world. And that allowed us to evolve and survive. Fast forward to 2022, we do not face those same threats, but the software in our, in our heads hasn't updated. So that's one thought. The other thought that I talk about is, I'm sure you've bought a new car and then all you see is that new car. Oh, yeah. So proving that we can prime our brains and your brain or everyone's brain who's like nodding their heads to that was primed, maybe without them realizing it. But if we know that our brains can be primed, we can be more intentional about that priming. And so coming back to that first process or sort of principle I talked about of the negativity bias, if we talk about that's the prevailing software of our brain, that's why we think negative. That's why we're so hard on ourselves. We also have this principle of our brain is reprogrammable. We can update the software. And so how... I typically teach that is to remind ourselves of previous successes and accomplishments. And that can be internal and we can get into it, what I call the highlight reel or the smile file, which is more external, writing notes around our workspace or our bathroom mirror or where we drive in our car to basically reprogram our brains and remind ourselves of the truth, which is this coming back around to your question, perspective of I'm, I'm doing way better than I think. Like, you and I were talking about before hitting record, how we always think we should be doing X, Y, Z, or like, I should be here in my path when we're actually doing really well. And someone else is like, Hey, Carrie, like you're doing great. 
And we can do that to ourselves. And so that's what I try to teach with what I just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. That's great. And it kind of comes back to, we find what we look for always. Right. So it's like, okay, so let me be intentional about what I'm actually looking for. And boom, there she is. So you said something, when did you say, oh, you were, (laughs) you're actually kind of quoting me, um, when we were talking earlier saying I should be, and that has, that's kind of like a trigger word for me. Like when I hear people say, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. It kind of always, you know, sends us down a rabbit hole because there's a lot to that word and how loosely we use that and, and what it signifies. Um, using it on ourselves so much. What are your thoughts on shooting yourself, if you will? So that's, that was, I was going to say about the joke is I have friends are like, I'm not going to shit on you. Like, don't shit on yourself, bro. Um, I try to switch it to could and that simple switch. And, and I'm a big fan of language having way more meaning than maybe we give it. The jokey joke that I say with that is that's why we call it spelling because you're casting spells with the words that you speak or write. Is that your joke? That's my joke. Yeah. That's a great joke. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. So when someone, if I have someone in my life who says should, and I'll say like, Hey, try could, or like I'll have to catch myself with, if you have a packed day, I'll be like, Oh, Hey babe, today I'm like, I got shit to do. And then I catch myself and be like, I have fun things that I'm doing today for work and like for my career, because I don't want that negativity out there. So I try to be very conscious of the words that I'm using, using that joke. And that's why we call it spelling. But um, as far as trying to upgrade from should to something else, I typically just shift into could. And then if I'm, if I have time on my hands, I pontificate on like, what does it mean to be a human being? And we're a human being, not a human doing. And why am I putting all this pressure on myself? That sort of thing. I like that human being, not human doing. That's clever. Very clever. And I could not agree more. You said um, that just words have so much power, hence the spelling joke, which I'm going to use, by the way. I'll give you credit. I'm going to use it though. (laughs) Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Words are so, so powerful. And it's one of those things that so many people just run on autopilot. And it's like the simplest shifts of should to could. I usually do can, um, but could it's like the same thing. Could and can is the same thing. And my clients and I actually work on that a lot where it's like, I need to be doing this. I should be doing that. Hold up. You can do that if you want to. You don't have to. No one's telling you you have to other than you. You can if you want to, and you can not if you want to. And even that is just for people who, who live. And I think we all live there, you know, until we're very intentional about not living there. Cause that's just how we all function. Um, I totally just lost my train of thought, but I'm jump in there. I can jump, yeah, in, there. jump in. It'll come back around. I think it's being intentional and we as humans, I mean, speaking per- personally, I think people just kind of float through life. Like I was floating through life for a long time but I had people around me that would sort of direct me. So in my swimming career, my dad, I come from kind of a swimming family. My dad and my uncle swam at the collegiate level. And so he was very impactful as far as the direction. Otherwise I'm just sort of showing up at swim practice. But then he would say like, Hey, like push one set for me and then tell me about it when I pick you up or when we have dinner. 
And so that, that got me in the mode of like, oh, like, let me try to push myself like once during practice, you know, or during one set. And then, you know, all of a sudden that snowballs into how can I push myself more, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing in school, right? You're just kind of, you go to class and then all of a sudden you have grades and maybe you get into high school and there's these AP classes or other classes that you can take. And it's like, oh, well, how do I get there? And we have this structure as humans kind of provided for us. And then we get out of school and we get into the working world and it's like all willy nilly. But I think we can start to be intentional about our lives, like fitness, of course, and starting to structure that. And then also structuring, like, what do I feel like I need to do versus what I want to do? And like, what's going to make me fulfilled as an adult? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's coming up for me as you're talking about that is just the power of, of having a coach because you had your dad growing up, right. And probably maybe some other people who gave you that push. And one of the things that makes me so passionate about the job that we get to do is the fact that there are a lot of people out there who just by circumstances, don't have those people in their life who push them, believe in them, see the potential in them. And we have the honor of being that person for people, which is incredible. So I'm really curious in your own words, can you tell me a little bit about just the power of, of coaching as you see it? It collapses time in a, in a phrase. So if I want to go from point A to point B in time, if I want to lose 20 pounds, then coaching is going to help me do that. It's hiring somebody that has accomplished what you want to accomplish and they can give you the cliff notes. So I don't need to, to learn myself. It's like hiring someone better than you. It's like when Dale and I first got together, we were living in a 500 square foot apartment and I had a cleaning person who would come and clean my apartment. And when we got together and, and started sharing finances, I told Dale, I was like, hey, I'm happy to pay for this because it's something that I do for myself. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, I could clean the apartment, Sean. Like, it's fine. And I was like, cool. How long is that going to take? And she was like, oh, maybe like a half a day or if I'm really scrubbing and stuff a day. And I was like, okay, cool. So what if I could tell you, you get that day back? And I'm going to hire someone who's not only going to do that, but they're probably going to do it better because that's their job. And so all of a sudden I've, I've bought time back for myself. And so I think that relates or can relate to coaching and it can shorten that time span. And you have basically a professional helping you do that, but in a phrase helping us collapse time. That is very well put. And it's like, like you're talking about outsourcing your cleaning we outsource a ton of things, right? Especially as business owners, you get to the point where you have to, to keep your sanity and your time. And it's the same thing with coaching. Like you're kind of outsourcing. How would you put that? Like, like if you had to say you're outsourcing something, what would that be? Your, your, your mistakes and struggles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. It's almost like I'm outsourcing. I'm kind of outsourcing my brain, like even in a coaching standpoint, like I'm, I've had fitness coaches off and on before I became a fitness coach. And then while I was a fitness coach, and it is really nice to compartmentalize certain things and be like, Oh, I don't need to think about this because Carrie's thinking about it. So Carrie gave me the process, the steps. All I need to do is like do the steps and then not think about it, not worry about, am I doing the right things? Will I get to my goal? And then I check in with Carrie every week and she tells me what to do. And she tells me if I need to increase my uh, macros or lower my macros. She tells me how I'm doing with my workouts based on what I've input. And like, I'm just going and doing it. 
Um, I think it can also be helpful in terms of visualizing and casting out where we want to be and where we want to go. Hiring, for instance, a life coach or a mindset coach or somebody like that that can help us get a little bit closer to this dream that we have. Like I recently finished writing a book, hopefully knock on wood, it comes out in the next month. And I hired a coach because I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I wrote this thing, but I heard that you can self-publish. So help me. And they've helped me immensely. And the book, like Dayla joked, because she read the first draft, but she hasn't read anything else. And I was like, you will not recognize it because there's like interactive parts. There's places that you can write in the book and stuff. And that wasn't in there. But if I didn't have coaching, it wouldn't have become that better product. And, and I would have no idea like the time that it saved in publishing, self-publishing on Amazon. Like they just tell me like, hey, Sean, go to this site and buy these things. Okay, I did that. Okay, now go to Amazon and sign up for this and da, 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 and let us know it's done. Okay, sign into this, pick six categories, da, 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 da. That would have taken, you know, that whole exercise in totality, maybe took me 30, 45 minutes, all those things. And if I had to do that on my own, I'd be like endlessly Googling, like, did I do this right? It would be weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and that comes back to it collapses time. Like it really allows you to maximize the potential of your time and whatever you're working on. And even just having that space to, like you said, talk about your dreams and your vision, it's crazy how no matter how in tune with that you are, you can't, you can't speak it out loud enough. You can't put it down, put it out in the physical world enough. Like we should be doing that as much as possible and having a conversation about it in itself, even if you've thought about it a million times is so, so powerful. I agree. Yeah. So coaching is pretty cool, right? <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so fulfilling. My yeah. previous jobs, I would get yelled at for like an errant email. And now I have clients who are like, oh my God, I did X, Y, and Z. It's uh, super fulfilling, a ton of gratitude. Absolutely. And I heard a really cool metaphor for coaching, which is basically like if you're, you know, on a hike, you have someone who's at bird's eye view telling you, oh, watch out for this, watch out for that. So how much less time and energy do you spend getting to the mountaintop? Can we go woo-woo for a sec? <laughs> yeah, we can always go woo-woo. <laughs> so you and I were talking before hitting record about women's intuition and my wife's gut instinct being like insanely correct. Um, it would be nice. Are you in a, like quantum theory, like quantum physics? Not really, but you you're piquing my curiosity. <laughs> you're dangerous at cocktail parties. You can like talk a little bit about it. Maybe a little, maybe a little. <laughs> so that is the prevailing theory of our reality is uh, that there are endless sort of multiple dimensions and like multiple realities and there's waves and frequencies and vibrations and anyone listening, it's like, what is he talking about? Like, please Google quantum theory, quantum physics. But it basically surmises that there are these multiple dimensions, multiple realities, and we can shift into them depending on if we're doing good things for ourselves or bad things for ourselves. And so for instance, in plain, simple terms, you might have a client who comes to you and they're like, Hey, Carrie, I have a wedding in like X number of months and I want to lose 10 pounds. And so you're like, all right, cool. We're going to do this program, blah, blah, blah. And then they start walking that walk. And then fast forward to when they accomplish that, let's say they're 10, 15 pounds down, their world has completely changed. Like they have different habits, different routines. They probably eat way better. They're drinking way more water. They're sleeping way better. They're working out. They're moving their body, et cetera. We could argue that they've shifted into a different reality that more better serves them. And you probably have clients who have done that shift. And they're like, Carrie, my friends are amazing now. 
or like, oh, I found this girl gang of fitness, you know, bad bitches that I just fuck it up at the gym with. And they didn't exist before that person went on that journey. So again, they've like shifted into this new reality. So if we prove that we can do that, it would be really nice if we had somebody like navigating, like the coach, right? And so I think because I dive into woo-woo stuff that the gut instinct, the women's intuition, the synchronicities that we see around us, like 1111, 333, or like I was talking to a client last night about her relationship with her future sister-in-law. And she was like, you know, this bitch, I cannot. And she was like, I always like bump heads. So I was like, what if you, what if you look at it as like, how can I help this person and like be a little bit more compassionate and maybe, you know, make it a game because you're going to be with this human. Like you're going to be with your dude forever. So like you have plenty of time to try to like impact this person. And she's a coach. So I was like, just put your coaching hat on, try to take the emotion out. She was like, oh yeah, you're right. I should probably do that. Right. And then this morning she texted me and she was like, oh my God, my sister-in-law messaged me and was like apologizing for the last time unsolicited that we had gotten together and she had sort of like neener neenered me. And I'm like, what a sign from the universe that like literally less than 12 hours, you talked about changing your perspective. And then you got this positive reinforcement from the universe of this text message. I think that's a sign. It's, that's like a sign that she's heading in the right direction. And so I think it's like our subconscious or maybe higher power, people who are religious God, like showing us those signs that we're heading into the better reality or better dimension for ourselves. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. And I like that perspective. Because I mean, you hear all the time, oh, it's a sign, but no one ever elaborates on where the sign is coming from or what it means. So I think that was very well put. And going down the path of woo-woo, this is actually something that I wanted to just see, just like kind of pick your brain about. Um, Talk to me about your thoughts on the law of attraction and how mainstream it has become? That's a good question. Have you read the book, The Secret? I have watched the, I guess, documentary. Haven't read the book. I have not read the book either. So I'm just going off of hearsay, but people I've talked to have read it. They're like, oh, you just think about what you want and it'll start coming to you and it'll start attracting to you. I don't think it's that simple. I think, okay, so I watched this documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix. If you watch it, if anyone else watches it, the first two thirds are amazing. The third third kind of goes off the, off the handle. So like first two thirds are great. And they interviewed this one guy and he said that he was in a big city and he put in his head, uh, I want to see an orange fish. He was just like, I want to see an orange fish. And he took literal steps for 10 minutes around the city, making turns, going down streets, down alleyways, whatever. And eventually he turned onto a street 10 minutes later and there was a sign for a restaurant that had an orange fish on it. Why I bring that up is that's what I think the law of attraction, quote unquote, can be. But it's not as simple as like, I'm just thinking that I want to be a millionaire and it's going to come to me. I think it's setting that goalpost of like, okay, I want to be a millionaire. Now, how do I get there? Like, what are the figurative and literal steps that I need to take using that example from the documentary that I mentioned of this person visualizing an orange fish taking literal steps. And then 10 minutes later, saw the orange fish. And so I would encourage people to goal set, like dream while awake, like talk about the things that they want and maybe write them down, create a vision board and then reverse engineer. Like what are the steps that I need to take to get there? And again, bringing it back to fitness, it's fitness is such a great analogy for life. You have a client, you're like, Hey, you want to lose 15 pounds? Like here's the steps. We're going to start tracking macros. We're going to start working out. We're going to start sleeping better. And then all of a sudden that person 
takes those steps over the course of weeks or months or whatever. And then all of a sudden they reach their goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you for sure. I think that again, with it becoming such a, I don't know, a recognized concept, you know, for our generation, I think that people simplify it a little too much often in the whole, I'm going to think about it and it's just going to come to me because there, there are action steps that need to happen. And I think that the visualization and the the manifestation piece of it is that you, you put your head there and then you intentionally map out the steps or we should probably, if we really want to get there. And then you also start taking them, I think subconsciously sometimes like you just, it just points you like having that image points you in the direction because you're moving forward always, no matter what. Right. So it just points you in the direction and then you're just naturally moving forward there. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. I would agree. I would agree. And I would, I would encourage everybody to throw out in the universe what they want to go towards. Uh, like Carrie, you were saying, you know, Dayla and I moved and we moved from like downtown Austin to a suburb and my parents, so Dayla's parents are like 15 minutes away and it's awesome. And as we are on the precipice of having kids, we've heard that it's really helpful to have free childcare. So that's what we're setting our lives up for. My parents live downtown in a high rise. And the other day, my dad said that he wanted to find like a specific type of condo or apartment in Georgetown, like, which is the suburb um and like in the square which is like this old timey uh square which is a ton of fun and eclectic and i was like cool let's throw that out in the universe like okay we're putting this goal post out there and like that's what we're going to go towards and so now i'm priming my brain to see everything that i need to 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 find it like sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't like unfortunately i met new neighbors because they came over asking if we'd seen their cat and the cat had gotten out and they gave us like a, a flyer for it. And I was like, cool, I'm going to prime my brain. I was like, what color is the cat? Because it's a black and white photo. Like, okay. And then every time I walk out in my neighborhood, I'm looking for this cat. Because I'm like, all right, let me see it. Hasn't worked yet. But there are other instances where we do that, right? And we have this like image in our head. And then all of a sudden we get there. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, we're priming our brains. That's all it really is. And, um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And I think that over time, the the biggest like conflict I've had with the, the whole law of attraction thing is if you're going to take full responsibility for everything that you're attracting to you, you have to take ownership of the things that go wrong, the bad, bad things that happen, the painful things that happen. And that's, that's really heavy right? Really challenging. Yeah. Cause it's self-reflective and like, do you, do you listen to yourself on podcasts? Yeah. I'm, I don't love listening to myself on podcasts when I do it. But that's the point. It's super cringe, right? But <laughs> yeah. you, you know that if you listen to yourself, you will get better. You will improve as a speaker. I do the same thing, but it's that first step of like, Oh God, I'm going to listen to myself. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at is to manifest what we want in this life we have to take that full ownership and that can be scary but it can also be really liberating and it encourages a an attitude of being observant of our lives and being critical of our lives and that can be cringe but it can help us continue to get better and 
like the first person I heard talk about was Grant Cardone. And I was listening to this audiobook, uh, 10X Rule. And he was like, if you get rear-ended, it's your fault. And I was like, say what? <laughs> he said, you know, you could have slowed down a little bit faster or sooner. You could have left wherever you left it later or earlier. Like you could have taken a different route. And that idea of hyper ownership can be scary, but it's also very much the thought of I'm in control of my life. And that's a really cool thought. That's a great point. That's a great, like just two sides of the coin there. Right. It's like, I also, you know, it's an extreme thing. Like we tend to look at things in extremes and we don't always have to, but on like the end of what you're talking about, it's like, there are a lot of things that it's like analyze where maybe you could have done things differently to produce a different result, what you can take ownership with. And then on the extreme side, it's, you know, like tragic things happen. And if you kind of, if you get kind of like sucked into that, like, I mean, like really bad things, right. That, that are pretty far out of your control that can feel heavy. If you let yourself get to the point of like, of taking ownership of, of the really the extremes. If I remember correctly, you were a pole vaulter and you played some soccer, right? Correct. So pole vaulting, it's all on you. And if you messed up, there's no one else to blame, which can be super scary. But if you excel and you hit a new PR, all the success is yours. You get to pound your chest. That was all me. And I was, I was an individual sport athlete and I really liked playing basketball, but that was one like soccer where you could have an amazing game and your team still loses. And you're like, I didn't have complete control over this. And we kind of um, like pass on that responsibility versus like the individual sports, which I'm kind of using an analogy for life because we do have teammates. Like you have Alex, I have Dela, we have family, but it's on us. And that can be both frightening and liberating at the same time. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. You can feel both of those things. And I mean, I think we probably should feel both of those things because it's a lot, right? Yeah. Being human's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take a turn here. And as someone who has, you know, done multiple career pivots and just life as a whole, you're doing a lot in life right now with your move, your IVF journey, and then you're coaching people through their lives. What are some very like common struggles and setbacks that you either experience or you witness your clients experience? Like what are just the top few? The big one is imposter syndrome. And kind of, we were talking about previously, like being too hard on ourselves, being a little bit more negative than maybe we should be. And I still struggle with that. The research that I've done in high performers they all still struggle with it. The joke I use is I'm sure Elon Musk wakes up in a cold sweat and is like, oh my God, I'm going to Mars. Like, I don't want to kill people. How am I going to do this? Um, Ariana Huffington talks about it. She calls it her obnoxious roommate. Uh, Michelle Obama talked about it. She said, while she was in the White House doing her first lady thing, she was still like, do, should I be here? Like, are people going to listen to me? Is, is that cool? And so that's something I help a ton of my clients with. And I try to help myself with is getting over that imposter syndrome hurdle. And then the other thing I'd say is paying attention to the inputs of our life and creating kind of a blueprint for our own success. And there are activities that have been scientifically proven to be a part of that blueprint. For instance, training, working out, movement, 
like I have a life coaching client who's a trans man and he did a shirtless selfie the other weekend and posted it on his stories. And so when we had our weekly session, I was like, how'd you feel? And when you posted that, knowing the answer, right? He was like, oh, bro, I felt great. Like I was just loving life. I was like, cool. What'd you do this week? And we've been talking about going to the gym. And he was like, well, I only went to the gym twice a week. I was like, that's fine. And he said, I worked at my apartment gym, but then I also played basketball outside and my mom was in town and we like went to the pool a couple of days and I was just like really feeling it. So I was like, cool, let's now be critical and be mindful of our lives. What, what, what changed? Oh, you worked out a couple of times. You played basketball, you swam movement. So like movement is huge. Uh, you said you were outside playing basketball. You're outside when you were at the pool, you were getting vitamin D that's scientifically proven to improve our mood. You're outside in nature that's scientifically proven to improve our mood. And so like, what else can we add to that blueprint? So for me, it's not only those things, but it's meditation, sometimes doing journaling, uh, tactically, I call it, uh, being out in nature is huge. Um, let's see what else I try to continue to just be mindful of those things that I'm doing that are making me my best self. So like Dela hates scary movies. And I think growing up in Los Angeles, it's symptomatic of growing up in LA. We watch every movie. So are you into scary movies? Yes. This is a very scream S. What's your favorite scary movie or like some of your favorites? Oh man. Favorite scary movies or scream movies? Cause I haven't really watched scary, just scary in general. Oh, putting me on the spot. I'm going somewhere with this too. So <laughs> Let's see. It's been a minute. I'd say the, the first one that comes to mind is the conjuring possession okay. movies used to be my thing. Okay. All right. I got you. Um, I've not seen the conjuring. We'll find out more why in a sec, but like saw, have you seen the first saw? Yes. Amazing movie. Like if you haven't seen, it, I'm gonna ruin it. The ending is insane. Like when he gets up off the floor, it's an amazing movie. Scream. The first one is like, it upended the genre. It's an amazing movie. Like, yes, they're scary movies like the conjuring. I haven't seen it, but I knew it made a bajillion dollars, the box office they've made multiple. Right. So like it had to have been a good movie. So growing up in LA, we go see good movies. It doesn't matter what genre it is. I get together with Dela and she's like, yo, I don't watch scary movies because I literally have night terrors every night. So I try to not consume scary and frightening and anxious content. And so I'm being a supportive boyfriend and husband. I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. So we didn't watch anything scary for a while. And then my tattoo artist <laughs> recommended The Sinner. Have you seen that with Jessica Biel? Yeah, that one's pretty good. Dude, we watched the first episode and then Dayla and I binged the entire season in like one night. We went to bed at like 2 a.m. And for the next week, we were just like shaking. Like, I, like, I feel weird. Like, I, is, this, is this normal? Like, I feel off. And so I became hyper aware of the content I was watching and how that made me feel. And so that's also in my blueprint of success to like watch rom-coms, watch Marvel movies, watch movies that hype me up. Same thing with music. Like I used to just bang hip hop when I was a kid growing up in LA. And now I'm, I'm like, I can't really get down with the lyrics. Like I feel like it's like kind of low vibrational stuff for me. And so I listen to a lot of electronic, different versions of it, some with lyrics, some without, but that's come from paying attention to how I feel, getting back to what we were originally talking about. So to come back around, um, it's being critical of our lives, like that blueprint for success and helping my clients create their own and then also helping them get past the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really like the choice of the word blueprint. That's a, that's a really awesome, simple way to put it. Cause it's so true for, you know, figuring out what supports you in, in your most joyful, loving, successful, fun states of being. And then also 
when things are off. Okay. Let's, let's take inventory of what you did this past week. And you're talking about scary movies. And I, I totally like, I totally get that from Dayla's angle. Um, because I feel the same way more recently about Grey's Anatomy. I have been (laughs) (laughs) getting into Grey's and Alex has called me out on it because I, I used to be like really like on the lookout for the stuff that I'm consuming. Not that I'm not now, but I've just kind of like settled into it. It's not like I'm used to, I don't know, just taking inventory of that stuff. And so I'm like watching Grey's and sometimes it just goes too far with the, with the watching grays. And then you start to have dreams and then you start to your energy just like slowly depletes. And a week later, it's like, man, I'm, I'm not feeling bubbly. I'm not like high energy levels. What's going on here. And of course, having that accountability of like, you've been watching a lot of people dying lately. You know, it's like tears every episode. And I'm like, yeah, you can't really argue with that. <laughs> Because that hospital is the most batshit hospital. Like they have everything that can go wrong, goes wrong. Like, so Dale is a huge Grays fan as well. And I would pop in and I'd be like, why is there an earthquake? And like, <laughs> why did this bus run into the hospital? And like, why are they having this happen to them? It's, it's pretty wild. Like they, they had the, I don't, I don't want to ruin it, but they had like a plane crash season. They've had everything. Like, like I just watched like a shipwreck, like a ferry boat shipwreck, like, and they never give any context. It's just like this catastrophic stuff. And then like, and then Meredith Grey dies the same time as, as her mom. And it's like, so, so far out, but it's so entertaining that you don't even question the context of the situation. Can I give you a behind the scenes on that one, that season where she's in a coma? Yeah. I saw Ellen Pompeo in an interview and they asked her like how she felt about like being one of the only cast members left right from the OG seasons and she was like yeah there was like a season around like 10 or 11 or something I just made a joke of like is it possible to take a season off and so she was like we were joking of like what if she was in a coma and then like you could take the season off and we would just need to they, they made like a prosthetic you know sort of like wax figure of her And so she said that she came in to do the wax figure and she had to do a couple like lay down things. And then she took like half the season off and then they brought her back and they were like, we need to redo the prosthetics. So we need you to like sit here again. And so that coma season was because they had talked like five seasons earlier of giving her a season off. That's hilarious. Um, And it's also really funny because I was talking about, I'm like in the beginning. So I'm in like season three where I guess she dies like on many occasions here because I know at the very end of all the season, she has like this big accident as well. So I'm talking about like the first time when she drowns and is like dead for an hour or whatever. And now knowing that she's going to be in a I'm coma, sorry. I'm like, and the characters die multiple times within the show. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's entertaining to say the least. The behind the scenes stuff too, like the reasons why some characters disappear. There's so much either drama or family stuff you know one person who i won't give away but he bounces like seasons 15 or 16 and he was just like i want to spend time with my family he was like i just like i've been doing this for so long and i get it but i really just want to spend time with my family yeah i mean what is it 17 seasons it's at least i think that i want to say they're on like 18 or 19 are they done i don't think so no they're still going I'm fairly certain. I'm fairly certain. I need to brush up on, on my grades. I clearly am not in tune. I, if they're still 
making episodes. That's I'm sorry actually, for ruining a few. No, seasons. you're not ruining it because I don't even know if I'm going to make it that far, honestly, <laughs> without getting depressed. <laughs> so they're on season 18. And I'm not sure if it's still going, but I'm not seeing it's it doesn't have an ending date on Wikipedia for what that were. For what okay, that's then worth. sounds like they're still going. I saw the Netflix a little red, like, oh, new episodes. And it's I'm, the longest running medical drama in American television. I'm surprised it's not the longest running drama. Period. I wonder if they count soap operas. Because like daytime wow. soap operas have been going for like decades. But yeah, True. they said season 19 is confirmed for fall 2022. Grey's Anatomy. I got a lot to catch up on. But then again, no, taking inventory, it's not super supportive of a good mood. So yeah, we're going to be mindful of that. So anyway, coming back, um, I guess the, the one of the last things I want to ask you is your sources of inspiration and motivation. I mean, as, as a life coach, it, pl- it just plays a big piece. You know, I feel like we kind of have the, um, the bias for feeling inspired and motivated and, and revisionaries. So tell me what your favorite sources of inspiration are. I get to go woo woo again with this response. And I think you and I talked about this previously, but I, I believe, and I was raised, uh, in a Christian household and then kind of meandered through life and came up with my own belief system. If I had to put a word on it, it would be agnostic. I think there's something to this reality. Uh, I don't know what it is and I'm okay not knowing, but basically my worldview is these are our fun meet spaceships. The soul is everlasting and eternal. And I chose to come back. The soul chose this body, this family, this route to make an impact and to make a difference. And so that really helps me be inspired, be motivated when I'm not, it helps me get out of bed because I truly believe that that's why I'm here then that allows me to do everything else. It leads me into doing the things that I'm doing every day. And for those listening, it doesn't have to be some woo-woo spiritual belief. It can be religious. Like I've talked to so many people who are Christian and they're like, yeah, I believe God has a plan for me. Like dope, like let that help you get out of bed. Let that help you be inspired. Let that help you be motivated. So that's sort of the main source of it. Um, The other one is this constant quest to be a better person and personal development in general. I have uh, my biggest sort of person that I look to is Kobe Bryant. I grew up in Los Angeles, huge Lakers fan. He was, you know, the Laker when I was growing up. And I'm when he died, it was like, oh, I immediately realized like this was my sort of person that I looked to because even Dayla never saw him play. She only picked up on the mindset stuff. And we were both emotional for two days and kind of had to pick ourselves up and get back to it. But I I'm grateful in a way that he passed because a lot of the videos that he had where he talks about mindset, where he talks about inspiration, where he talks about things in life, I would have to go searching for these. And when he passed, they all bubbled to the surface. People who had held on to videos were like, Hey, this was a private conversation, but I'm going to put it out there because I think people need to hear it. And so when I, for instance, was going through my cut uh, a couple years ago, I like did a big bulk and then a big cut. And I was going to ACL music festival and to get up and do morning cardio, I would throw on a motivational video from Kobe Bryant. And it would just like sort of get my mind into it for that day. Um, the little things too, is like uh, playlists. Like I have playlists by different mood and playlists by what I need to get done. So that, that helps me get up when I need to. Uh, so those are, those are three things. Yeah. And I love how you started 
with the bigger overarching, just like your spirituality, your beliefs, what, what drives you, where you find purpose. And just like you said, that's, that's the most powerful thing. Hands down is what, what you believe drives your purpose. What is your purpose? Where does that come from? Um, and that can be anything you said. That's the really cool part is it's, it's so different for everyone. And that's so great. You know, that everyone has a different, um, like resonates with, with the whole, if you will, in a different way. Um, and then you kind of trickle down all the way down to like your different playlists and Kobe Bryant, which is awesome. I'm not super familiar with his like motivational clips. Um, but I, like, if I had to pick a person, I would say mine would be Will Smith. Do you ever like come across his stuff? I do. I feel some type of way after you slap Chris rock, which we can get into if you want, but that I still, I haven't really even like processed I, Alex and I were under the theory that it was staged for a little bit, but then like, as you're starting to see, you know, like he's banned from the Grammys now and this other stuff like, Oh, maybe that was real. What do you take that to mean about him? That's a great question. Um, I mean, one, I try to be knowledgeable about like, as I've talked to diverse friends, it, it was really, it involved to be, to be plain and simple It involved black people. And it was a, it was an altercation between black people that some, a little bit involved, like one of those persons also black wife. And so in the, the circles that I kind of live in, I, I don't want to speak about like what, what should, like what they should have done. Right. And like, I, I want to just kind of preface with that's a different conversation for me as I'm a, I'm a quarter Korean. I grew up in a really, like, I have a ton of Asian relatives. And so I, I didn't grow up as white as I look, but my response was I when immediately when it happened, I thought this was the straw that broke the camel's back because I do follow Will Smith. I loved his YouTube. Like I love his content. It's very inspirational. It's motivational. And so when that happened, I was like, Oh, it wasn't Chris Rock's comment. Like there's something else going on because this guy reacted very contrary to who he seems to be. So that was my first reaction of like, this is not the issue. Like the issue was building up and this is sort of the, the catalyst for this issue. Um, after that, I, I had friends saying like, this is fake. And I, I said the same thing, Carrie, that you're now seeing, I was like, there are going to be huge ramifications. Like you just can't do this at the Oscars. You can't do this at, at big events like this in front of millions of people. And like, what is that going to teach kids? And like, now is it okay to go hit people there on stage that say something that you don't agree with? Um, so my perspective of will has, has changed, unfortunately, like even in Instagram, like I used to use his little like shocked gif a ton. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can use that anymore. That said, like he can come back. Like for people listening, um, Kobe Bryant had a rape allegation when he was a player and it was settled out of court. But so many people being a Kobe fan, like my, my whole life was like, go Lakers, go Kobe. And then when that happened, I got a lot of hate. And when I would say that I was a Kobe Bryant fan or wear the jersey, like people would say stuff to me. And then slowly over time, it started to change and people were like cheering for him and supporting him. And I say that to mean that I could feel differently again about Will Smith, but I think it's going to take a lot of time as we're kind of seeing now, but I would agree with you. I really loved his YouTube. Yeah. It's interesting. I would love to, <laughs> in an ideal world, sit down with him and, and get to the root of that because 
like you said, it's that's so unaligned with who he presents himself to be. And it's so clearly not okay in any way, shape or form. Like, it's just like what something's not like what could have gone through your head that justified that kind of reaction. It makes, it makes no sense. Like you said, there's something else going on there. Um, but it is kind of sad because I love him so much, but. And I think those two things can still align like loving the bad boys movies. Like, Oh my God, I'm, I love those movies. Um, Independence day. Like, I think it's possible to still enjoy his content or other people's content who made a mistake. Like, Right. And that should be like, that should be forgivable, but cancel culture is so rampant, you know, it's like one thing and boom, you're canceled. But then again, Will Smith has quite the track record. So maybe he'll bounce back. Did he even, did he apologize publicly? I think he did. I think he apparently I had, there were like multiple people that said he and Chris like squashed the beef. Um, I think he's apologized after the fact. But he's been very quiet. And that's sort of the entertainment. Like, that's the old adage when somebody does something stupid They in Hollywood, their publicists will be like, just don't like go outside for three days. Because, yeah, because in three days, somebody else will do something and that will take over the, the news cycle. Just like give yourself three days. Like uh, Drake calls it the 72 hour rule. And he said his mom taught him that. And he said that when he would feel some type of way about, how somebody reacted or something somebody said or somebody in the media is saying something about Drake, he would call his mom early on. And his mom was like, give it 72 hours and then see how you feel. And so Drake was like, all right, I'm not going to post. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to do interviews. And then he said three days later, he's like, eh, yeah, like what, what happened? Like, I don't know. And I'll move on. Um, so I think Will's taking that tact. He would obviously have a good team around him to be like, yo, just chill. Mm-hmm. For sure. The thing that I don't know why I'm thinking about this and this could be so far off in left field, but I'm like, I wonder if like maybe somewhere, somehow subconsciously he's ready to be like out of the spotlight. And like, he's like maybe ready to kind of like start closing down his career and just like living his own life privately and doing his own thing and did something to sabotage himself. Do you want me to, I'll go deep down this rabbit hole with you if you want. I have sure. some time too. I know I told you I had to go, but I mean, I still like, but it's not as hard of a stop. Also, you I apologize. Got a minute. I hear, I hear my dog snoring. So I apologize if you hear snoring in the background. <laughs> I don't hear it, but I did just piece together that his name's Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. He's there you my go. dog. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kobe over there passed out in his crate. Um, so I've, I've gone like way down this rabbit hole. So uh, Jada Pinkett Smith kind of grew up with Tupac Shakur. And they went to the Baltimore Performing Arts School, Baltimore School of Performing Arts together when they were like 17, 18. And as Jada tells it, they were best friends. They uh, never got romantic. They like shared a kiss once and it was weird. So they stopped doing it. But then as both became stars, they would still hang out. And Jada Pinkett met Will Smith, starts to date him and they get married. And Will Smith has talked about in interviews on several occasions, how he felt that he couldn't live up to her best friend of Tupac Shakur. Cause Will was like, I'm the rapper that doesn't swear and is palatable for, you know, suburban America. And my wife's best friend is like the epitome of gangster rap and like the thug culture and thug life, like literally has it tattooed. 
And so, um, and then like, I read that there was a, an argument between Will and Jada and Willow Smith said something like, I just wish Tupac was still alive. Cause like mom talks about Tupac a lot and all stuff as a lot of us do, like as a hip hop head in the nineties and early two thousands, like I talk about Tupac a lot. Um, but I think there's something there. And Will's talked about, like, he's always been the, the very sort of palatable and pleasant Will Smith. And like, he's never played a bad guy, right? Like the closest he would get was like King Richard, where he could kind of like tap into that side. And he's always had to play the fluffy, like unpalatable, everybody loves me character. And maybe this is like a subconscious, like he doesn't want to play that role anymore. That's kind of like a long statement mic drop. I'm like, wow, how insightful. That's you did you. your research. I like it. And it makes perfect sense. He's like, this is my chance. Consciously or subconsciously, he took it. Right. When he had just played a character who he had won every award at of someone who like stands up for their family and... Like, did you see, did you see King Richard? No, I didn't. But now that that's a huge piece to it. Wow. How crazy yeah, is gotta, that? You got to see it. Uh, it's a great movie. And you don't see Will Smith. Like you watch it and, you know, halfway through Dale and I turn, we're like, I, I don't see Will Smith anymore. Um, but it's maybe the most contrary Will Smith role that he's ever had because there are parts where you don't like him. And Will Smith is very likable. but it's the Venus and Serena Williams story. And he like, he, he protects them to his own sort of physical, emotional detriment because they grew up in a very rough part of Los Angeles. And so like, he literally gets beaten up a couple of times because he's like trying to protect them from the gangsters in the area while they're practicing. And the rapper, the game has even, I heard a podcast with him where he talked about it. He was like, Oh yeah. Like, I grew up in the same area and he was like the basketball courts were like right next to the tennis courts. And we would see the Williams we didn't know who they were, but like, you would see Richard out there, like yelling at his kids and like doing all that stuff. And so he's like, yeah, like he was really out there. He was really in the hood, like trying to help his kids and trying to help them create a better life. And unfortunately to do that at that time in Los Angeles, you had to be a little bit rougher around the edges. And so you have this character that Will Smith plays that's rougher around the edges than he's ever played. And now he's getting accolades for it. And he's at an event where he's going to eventually go win it. That maybe have played a little bit of a role of like, he's still in this character of protecting his family. Somebody says something about his wife. I do. Like I would have loved in an alternate reality if he had not done anything. And then moments later he wins the Oscar and he gets to stand up there and be like, Hey, like, by the way, you know, now that I've won this, thank you. I have my minute. By the way, what Chris said over there was really hurtful. My wife's going through X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Like, and he could have spun it into, I think we could all vibe with treating each other with love and respect and like everyone, you know, it's like what we see on Instagram, right? Like people are going through struggles that you have no idea about. And he could have mic dropped. Thanks for my award. I'm out. And people would have been like, oh my God, how, how horrible is Chris Rock? Like Will Smith's the best. But unfortunately, you know, in, in certain moments, we can't be that person. He was in character. He was. And then it's also like, I've unfortunately blown up at a Starbucks barista in my day. And then I regret it. And it's not the barista. It was like my life leading up to them getting my coffee wrong. Always. Yeah. And so maybe for people who are on a larger stage, like for you and me, it's blowing up at a barista for Will Smith. It's punching someone at the Oscars. It's just like, he's a, a, a bigger star. He's got more going on. So like, that's his outlet. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That all, like I said, kind of 
piecing, piecing that, that picture together could be a lot of different things, but the combination of everything you just explained, it fits. I did not think we were going to, uh, pontificate on Will Smith. I know I would have, I would have prepared more Carrie. <laughs> no, I think it was, I think it was abundant. I think you provided a lot of value here talking about Will Smith and, and Kobe. So thank you. Thank you for everything. You've shared so many awesome, awesome insights today. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. I appreciate you, Carrie. I would definitely want to have you back for round two on my podcast, Shots to the Dome, but um, this is a lot of fun. Something I was looking forward to today and this week. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to be back. And um, for all the listeners, if you guys loved this episode, please don't forget to give it a rating. And then if you really resonated with um, myself and or Sean, give us a little repost and tag us. And Sean, can you share where they can follow and connect with you? Of course. And please definitely give us a five-star review. All you need to do is scroll down on her podcast page, hit five stars, leave a review, leave a comment, be like, oh my God, the conversation about Will Smith was so insightful. But for real, that helps people find Carrie's podcast. So please do that. As far as me, you can find me on Instagram at fitness shaman. Yes, there are three S's in the middle of that. So many people have asked, what's a haman? And I'm like, you're missing an S. And they're like, oh God, I, I feel like I'm so stupid. Um, and then if you want to learn more about my wife and I's company, DLD Nation, it's at DLD Nation. We're also online, www.dldnation.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys back here next time. Thanks, Gary.